Well, good evening, Crown Point. I want to speak to you on what we've just seen here. Um, confusion. This is one of those messages that is, is, is so full of just meat and basic knowledge. It, it's one of those you want to keep in your Bible or it's one of these messages that you want to keep on a dresser or something or keep in a nightstand. That's just a good roadmap because there are times that all of us get in certain situations we just don't know what to do. There are times that things go on in marriages and you're not sure what the answer is. There, there are times that in every person's life something happens uh, within the financial picture of their family and we don't know what to do. There are times where uh, eventually we're all gonna die and, well, well Lord, what do we do? There, there, there's times that we're gonna experience pain. There's gonna, times we're gonna experience confusion. And the question is, what do we do? As people who strive to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and to know him and to walk intimately with him, we're supposed to have the answers. <laughs> but sometimes Christians can be as clueless as the people they try to share the gospel with. And I want to speak to you. I felt like tonight that the Lord would have me speak to you about this one thought, what to do when you don't know what to do. There's going to be times, no matter how strong of a Christian you are, you're going to be in a place where you don't know what to do. There's going to be times it doesn't matter if pastor's in front of your name or deacon is in front of your name or life group leader's in front of your name where you're going to get in a spot in your marriage or with your kids or with your work or just some area and we don't know what to do. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me tonight to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and want to speak to you on this thought, what to do when you don't know what to do. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I want you to look at verse 2 to 4. The Bible says that some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. Now, let me just stop right there. Sometimes that's how we feel in our lives. Have you ever felt that way? That you just feel like a vast army of pain or confusion or anxiety is coming against you. Right here it says, it's already in Hazar Tamar. And verse number three says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, I want you to look at verse number 12 in the same story. And here's what it says. So, let me just help you out here. Jehoshaphat has found out that there's a great enemy coming against them. He declares a fast, and here's what happens in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> Lord, we don't have power to handle this situation. But then it says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now look at verse 15, same story. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Verse 17. You will not have to fight the battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Last verse, 
Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. This one story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I believe that God has nestled it right here in this book. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what to do when you don't know what to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you that my sins are forgiven. Thank you that you have given us the best title we could ever have, son or daughter of God. I just ask you tonight, Lord, Lord, for those that are here and, and maybe they're, this is for them, give them your wisdom. Lord, there's a lot of us here tonight that are doing great, but we're gonna need this message a week or two months from down the road. Help us, Lord, just to cling to this and to receive this in our hearts. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, tonight I wanna speak to you about four things we need to do when we don't know what to do. So let's look at the very first one tonight. Very first one, number one, look at verse 12. It says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Number one, remember to look to the Lord. Remember to look to the Lord. You know, I, I tell you, I've gone through Bible college classes and seminary classes, but there are still times that I forget to look to the Lord. There are still times that I put my trust in man or I put my trust in, in the power of programs or the powers of churches. And here's what God says is, when you don't know what to do, remember to look to the Lord. Sometimes Christians have selective forgiveness. Sometimes we have selective forgiveness. We, we take, receive God's forgiveness for us and we don't give it to other people. Floyd would say, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. I want to talk to you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, the enemy's plan, it's to bring confusion. That's, that's how he attacks Christians. Friends, that's one of the greatest things the devil will try to do is he will try to confuse you what to do in your marriage. He will try to confuse you how to walk out the love of Jesus. And, and friends, when you, when you don't know what to do, remember to look to the Lord. See, here's what happens. Confusion, it stops us in our tracks. Once you or me are trying to serve God and we get confused, we, it's like you hit the brakes in a car. You don't know what to do, so you just stop. And you know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to, to stop you from having God's very best in your life. The devil wants to stop you from receiving God's intimate love and his grace and his power and his authority, and he does that through confusing us right below that, Confusion blinds us to reality. Okay, so now, I think I've done this before, but I'm not sure. Many of you know that I was in Weight Watchers and I lost 50 to 70 pounds and I've kept the vast majority of that off. But before I was in Weight Watchers, sometimes, Dustin, I was blinded to reality that I needed to lose weight. I was just blinded to that fact. I mean, I would do anything I could to avoid the truth that I can't just eat fried foods three days or three meals every day. <laughs> I would just try to avoid that I just can't have dessert at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so um, I used to have in my wardrobe faith clothes. Now, here's what faith clothes are. Faith clothes are clothes that you can't fit in, but you're keeping them in faith that you will lose weight to be able to fit in them. How many of you have faith clothes? Just confession's good for the Almost everyone, that's right. Well, see, here's what happens. 
is that, is that confusion, it blinds us to the reality. You know what? I didn't get in those clothes, and I finally just had to toss them. Okay, so not only does the enemy's plan to bring confusion, but the Lord's plan, now here's what happens, is a plan of wisdom. That's what God's plan is. See, we're talking tonight about what to do when you don't know what to do. And see, that's the devil's plan to get you and me in confusion. But God, he has, now I want you to receive this. God has specific wisdom for every area of your life. It's a lie from the devil if you're like, oh, there's no way we can get out of this problem. That's a lie. Just because you don't know the way doesn't mean there isn't a way. Did you hear that? (laughs) Just because you don't know the way doesn't mean there isn't a way to get out of whatever situation you're in, that situation you're in now, or the situation you will be in. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Only when our eyes are on God do all situations become small. If you, want to, if you want to shrink the problems in your life, here's what you do. You stop looking at the problems and you put your eyes on God. And that's so contrary to our nature Our nature is, when we see a problem, okay, let's arrest the problem. Let's focus on the problem. Let's do what we can to attack the problem. And God says, no, no, no. Put your eyes on Jesus, and it shrinks the problem. And also, God's wisdom is far different uh, than this world's. Proverbs 3, 13, blessed is the man who finds wisdom. When we saw this video, and you saw people who were confused, at the tail end of the video, you saw people I will turn the other cheek. I will be a peacemaker. I will forgive. Those things are contrary to our nature. And I just want to give you this thought. You cannot fight a supernatural battle with a natural weapon. It cannot be done. It can be done, but you will lose every time. (laughs) If you're going to fight a supernatural problem with a natural answer, you plan on losing every every single time. Okay, so first of all, what to do when you don't know what to do. Number one, remember to look to the Lord. Number two, look at verse 15. Here's what the word says. It says, for the battle is not yours but God's. Anybody thankful for that? The battle is not yours, but it's God's. That's what verse 15 says. So number two, remember whose battle it is. Remember whose battle it is. So right now, if you're facing financial problems, here's how you pray. Lord, I just thank you that this is your battle. Give me the wisdom how to overcome this. See, that just takes the pressure off us. If you're struggling in your marriage or some type of relationship with your kids or within your family. Anybody have crazy in-laws? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to get you in trouble. Okay, (laughs) I saw that, brother. Okay, so, um, now I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry about that. Okay, God's wisdom is far different than this world's. You see, inside our nature, we've got to tap into God's supernatural wisdom. Everything that you and me see, we only see what? What's before us? what's on the side of us, and if we turn our heads, what's behind us. But God sees into the past, he sees into the present, he sees into the future, and if you get God's supernatural wisdom, friend, you're gonna overcome that problem. You're gonna overcome that situation. God wants to give you wisdom when you don't know what to do. Let me give you a couple thoughts on that. First of all, the enemy's plan is for exhaustion. Oh, man. You ever just come home and you're just exhausted? And it's not because you're worked, it's because of who you had to deal with. (laughs) Have you ever just wanted to get away? And then have you ever got away and needed a vacation from your vacation? 
Okay, so the devil, he wants to exhaust you. Here's what I want you to hear. Too many times we take on the fighting. And that'll wear you out. This isn't in the notes, but we're not supposed to take on the fighting. That's why, and I want you to get this. This is a deep word tonight. That's why many Christians live defeated lives is they're the ones doing the fighting. And that's not biblical. We put our faith in what Jesus did for us. See, I'm saved not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. I'm forgiven not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. And so, too many times we take on the fighting, and then when we fight, we always lose. Let me give you a, a, a scripture for that. It's Exodus 14, 14. It's one of my favorite ones. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You, only, you need only to be still. That's many times what God wants us to do. Zip it. Be quiet. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Okay, so let me give you another thought. But the Lord's plan, oh, I love this. Thank you, Jesus. It's a plan of rest. That's what God's plan is. The devil wants to exhaust you, and God, he wants you to have rest. Rest in your relationships. Rest in your finances. Rest in your purpose for life. Rest in your vision for life. Rest with your in-laws. Rest. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast all of your cares upon him for he cares for you. Let me give you a couple thoughts here. God has already done the fighting. And when we rest in God, we always win. Now, let me try to illustrate this to you. Has anybody here ever watched the National Geographic Channel? I don't know if it's on the National Geographic Channel, but I believe it was on a National Geographic show one time they were showing this beautiful bald eagle, and if you've never seen a bald eagle, it's really difficult to describe how big and powerful and majestic those, those eagles are. Well, they had this, I don't know how this cameraman got this picture, but this bald eagle, he saw this fish in the water from, from many, many thousands of feet away, and he starts to swoop down and make his ascent, and immediately his talons, they, they latch into this fish, and immediately the, the bald eagle begins to try to ascend. But what happened is the eagle got onto a much bigger fish than he thought. And the weight of the fish was so heavy, the eagle couldn't go up. It started to go down. And immediately, you see on the video, the eagle is trying to release this fish. But here's what happens. The talons had so latched on the fish, the eagle couldn't let go. And the eagle crashed into the water and died. Now, here's what's the point in that. The point in that is many times we as Christians, we latch onto things, and if we can't let them go, they're going to destroy us. That's a total picture of what we are many times as Christians. You know, we latch onto bitterness, and if we can't let it go, it's going to destroy us. We latch onto unforgiveness, and if we can't let it go, it's going to destroy us. We latch onto pride, and if we can't let it go, it's going to destroy us. We latch onto lust, and if we can't let it go, it's going to destroy us. We latch onto selfishness, and if we can't let it go, it's going to destroy us. And here's what God says He wants to do the fighting. But you and Him can't both fight at the same time. And so what do we do when we don't know what to do? 
Well, first of all, number one, we remember to look to the Lord. Number two, we remember whose battle it is. And let me give you number three. Look with me in your Bibles or in your notes to verse 17. Here's what this story says. I love this verse. Okay, so God's people, they've got this massive enemy that's about to attack them. And here's what verse 17 says. The word of God says, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will give you. Now, now notice, it's like a gift. God is giving deliverance to his people. It's, it's, it's like just taking something out of your wall and saying, here it is. It, it is a gift. And so what do we do when we don't know what to do? We remember to stand. One more time, verse 17. It says, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. Many times, Christians run. Um, one of the worst things that we can do is avoid. There's a difference between letting God do the fighting and avoiding the fight. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference there. Um, psychologically, they call it passive-aggressive. Have you ever met anybody that's passive-aggressive? It's kind of like a ticking time bomb. You know, you're just with them and you don't know that you've hurt them or offended them and just a couple weeks or a couple days go on and a couple months go on and then all of a sudden you're just, you got a pure heart, you say something and boom, they just blow up. Well, here's what happens is that many times as Christians, we, 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 we don't stand, but we compromise. We compromise what God's word says on sexuality. We compromise what God's word says on money. We compromise. And what happens is when we do that, instead of standing, in, in reality, we're in slavery. And so what do we do when we don't know what to do? Number three is that we remember to stand. Let me give you a couple thoughts. The enemy's plan for you and me is defeat. He wants to defeat us. John 10, 10, a very popular verse of the Bible says this. For the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I just want you to hear this really clearly. The devil does not want to play softball with you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill your dreams, your desires, and your soul. And then he wants to destroy anything that you'd have. That's what he wants to do. The devil's plan is very simply, it's defeat. But you see, God never planned for his people to quit. What's Philippians 1, 6 says, say, he who began a good work in you will what? Be faithful to complete it. God did not plan for his sons or daughters to be quitters. Uh, can I give you, um, Dan was the football coach at Texas. Was his name Daryl Royal way back in the day? I think Daryl Royal, the coach of the University of Texas Longhorn, said this, you're never defeated as long as you don't quit. Whew. Did you get that? We are never defeated as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, until we quit. Once we quit, then the battle is lost. We're never defeated until we quit. You see, there's a difference between quitting and failing. Big difference. You see, many times if we fail and don't quit, we learn from that and then we overcome. But if you quit, you automatically disqualify yourself. And I just gotta tell you this today. 
Do not quit on God's dreams for your life. Do not quit on your dreams for your family. Do not quit on those God-given desires that God has put in your heart for greatness, for blessing, for prosperity. Don't quit. I just feel like somebody needs to hear that tonight. Don't quit. Okay, so let me throw this out at you. The Lord's plan is for victory. That's his plan. And all the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan is a plan of victory. But in order to do that, you must stand in God. You must stand in God. And right below that, do not allow what you see, this is big, to discourage you. Now, now did you hear that? Don't allow what you see to discourage you because many times what the devil, one of his mind tricks is, if we see something that we don't perceive as good or pleasant, immediately it gets us on the defensive. And many times, well, Lord, I can't wait to start this ministry. And then we see how hard it is. Oh, it must not be God's will. No, God wants you to remember him and stand in faith and he's gonna provide for you. But here's what happens. I just want to encourage you. You cannot give in to getting scared by what you see. What 2 Corinthians 5, 7 say? For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by... For we walk by faith and not by... And see, what happens is, is when we get discouraged simply by what we see, we're already partially defeated. You know, I wanna encourage you to get this in your mindset. When, you, when God gives you a, a plan or a dream or a vision and then all of a sudden you look at it and it looks hard, I just want that to excite you. Man, praise God, I'm gonna get to see God do something miraculous. Man, praise God, I'm gonna, see, I'm gonna get to see God supernaturally provide totally out of nowhere. Man, thank God for that. Here's what happens. This isn't in the notes, but when you and me come to a battle, we either get excited we get scared. I want us to get to the place where we're so in love with God and our faith in him is so big that when we see a battle, we just get excited. Man, we, do, man, we just see something, man, thank you, Jesus. Because, you know, it's that warrior mentality. You know, there are some people, they're kind of looking for a fight. Have you ever met that? I mean, you know, nobody picks on the bully. And, you know, there's some, and, 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 and I, I want you to know that God wants us to be that way. He wants us to have so much power in him to live for him that we're not just scared when the devil shows us something we, we think is fearful. Let me give you the last thing. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Because there's times every person in Killian, Barry Young or Pastor Newby gets fearful. Well, first of all, number one, What do we do when we don't know what to do? Remember to look to the Lord. Number two, remember whose battle it is. Number three, remember to stand. And let me give you the fourth one tonight. Look at verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Now I want you to see this. Before the Lord set ambushes, the people praised and worshiped God. Verse 22, one more time. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Number four, remember to praise God. There's power when we do that. Now, you know what? 
I love rain down, and it's a powerful night where we have, we have it one Friday night every other month, and I mean hundreds of people come out. The last time we did rain down at our church, it was a month or two ago, and we had hundreds of people that just came out to worship God on a Friday night. It was awesome. But it's easy to worship God in that type of environment. We got all these awesome musicians and all these awesome singers and hundreds of people are getting into praising God and worshiping him passionately. It's difficult to worship God when you're tempted to sin. It's difficult to worship God when you're in an office and you're the only one that is even considering worshiping him. It's difficult to worship God when for some reason all your family just seems like they're turned against you. But what happens is, is once we begin to worship God, it's like a supernatural flood begins to open up in that situation if we will begin to praise him when it's hard. If we will worship him when it's difficult. If we will step up and regardless of whatever thing we would be facing, whatever Goliath, whatever army, whatever giant, that when we come into that, immediately the first words out of our mouth are not, oh me, or oh my, or what did I get myself into, but the first words out of our mouth are, thank you, Jesus, for the victory you're about to put in my hands. Man, when we do that, there's power. Man, I'm preaching better than you're amening tonight. You see, the enemy's plan is for religious worship. That's what he wants, religious worship. Let me just give you a few indicators of that. If you have to have a certain instrument to worship God, that's religious worship. If you gotta have a certain song to worship God, that's religious worship. If people, if you're concerned what people are thinking when you're worshiping God, that's religious worship. If You are praising God to get somebody's attention. That's religious worship. The Bible I read says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. Friends, I love to worship God. I I love the singing and clapping and, and, you know, when people get into it. But I'm telling you, worshiping God always starts and always ends in the heart. There are people that you might outwardly think are praising and worshiping God, but there's a lot of junk inside. And then there might be people that you might not really be able to see if they're worshiping God, but inside their heart, man, God is undoing and and, and unleashing things that are powerful. You see, the enemy's plan is for religious worship, and so I wanna encourage you, beware of religious attitudes. Beware of those. Because typically... (laughs) Pre-Christians don't have religious attitudes. Many times, it's people that are in the body of Christ that have religious attitudes. Who were the people most against Jesus? The Pharisees, the men that knew the law. Beware of religious attitudes, and let me give you this one. Beware of religious spirits. Can I give you an example of a religious spirit? Okay, Five years ago, we stopped having Sunday night church and we went to life groups throughout the church. And we have one of the highest percentages I know of of life groups, of people participating in life groups. Okay, when we first did that, there were some people, Dan, that were complaining that we were canceling Sunday night that didn't even come to Sunday night. I mean, if we would have just canceled it and not told anybody, they'd have never known. 
So, so that's, we could have just done that. We'd have no problem. But it's because we publicly announced, no Sunday night church. We're going to go to life groups. Not very many people because we have a godly, godly pastor. And, and many, times his, many times the spirit of the pastor comes across the people. And so most of our people at Crown Point are low maintenance, but not everybody. And you might be sitting next to one of those high maintenance people, but I'll let that for you to decide. Some of you are smiling and nudging people right now. Lord, forgive them in Jesus' name. Okay. So that was a religious spirit, though. Here's somebody complaining that we're canceling Sunday night church, and they don't even come to Sunday night church. It's a spirit of religion. Consequently, significantly more people go to life groups than what went to our Sunday night service. Let me give you the last thing. Is that the Lord's plan, as Chris comes to play real softly, is it's a plan of intimacy. You know, our marriage is not perfect, but Kelly and I have a, a really good marriage. And one of those things that helps that is we have intimacy. I mean, many of you, uh, many of you have great marriages. And one of those indicators is you can just look at your spouse and they can just give you a certain look and you know exactly what they're thinking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They, they, just, they just say one word and you know this is a good thing or it's a bad thing. Well, it, that, that comes from a byproduct of intimacy. And man, there's nothing perfect about me. Man, I've made mistakes as a husband. But what happens is when you have intimacy, guess what that fosters? That fosters grace. And so sometimes some of the strongest marriages are marriages that have had to overcome significant obstacles. But because they're intimate, beyond sexuality, there's that bond. So I want to give you a couple thoughts as we close. Is that God wants to know your inner person. He wants to know you intimately. And, and that only takes place through a four-letter word, T-I-M-E. If we don't spend time with him, and our goal should be a daily basis to spend time in his word and time praying to him, just talking to him like we would a regular person. Man, that creates intimacy with us and God. And just like I can finish one of Kelly's sentences or she can finish one of mine, if you start spending time with God, what to do when you don't know what to do, you're going to start thinking the thoughts of God. And when those seriously confusing situations come on you, you're going to know what to do because you've been intimate with God. And all of a sudden, his thoughts begin to become your thoughts and his words begin to become your words. Let me give you the last one as we close tonight is that God wants to speak deeply to you. He wants to speak deeply, deeply to you. I want to close with this story, and I think it was the early 1900s. It was before the telephone technology had swept the nation and became easily accessible for people. Uh, at that time, one of the greatest forms of communication was the telegraph. You know, where you'd have the telegraph line, and there, there was a young man that was needing a job, and he was a telegraph operator. And so here's what happens. He goes into this office because this telegraph company had advertised they needed a telegraph operator. So he goes in this office waiting room to apply for this job, and he notices four other young men 
around the same age waiting in that waiting area. So here's what he does. He sits down and he, he expects a secretary or somebody to come out and greet him, but nobody does. And so he sits down and he sees the four other young men talking. And after about 10 minutes, the young man gets up, goes over to the office door, opens the president of the company's office door, walks in and shuts the door behind him. 15 minutes later, he comes out and the president's got his arm around and says, son, you got the job, we'll see you next week. And all of a sudden, those four young men that were in that waiting room looked at that man who just walked through the president's door and said, what happened? We were applying for the same job you were applying for, but how did you get the job? And the young man looked at those other four young men and said, while you guys were talking and telling jokes and carrying on, in the background, I noticed that I could hear a tapping. And the tapping said in Morse code, the first person that hears this message, walk through the door and the job is yours. Okay, so what's the point there? There were five people in the room, but only one person was listening. And many times that's how we are as believers. We're in the room, we're in the family, we're, we're Christians, but, but there's five of us and only one of us is really hearing what God's trying to say. And how did he hear that message? He blocked out what was going on around him and he focused his attention on that message. And friends, that's what God wants to do with you and me. He wants us to block out all the busyness of this world. We're all busy. We all got stuff going on. We're all pulled in different directions. But if we purposely get to a place, speak to me, God. He will speak. So tonight as we close, what to do when you don't know what to do? Remember to look to the Lord. Remember whose battle it is. Remember to stand and remember to praise God when it's difficult. Just bow your hearts with me in prayer tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, tonight, um, in just a moment, we're just going to close in prayer. And uh, Chris is going to lead us in worship. And